0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And today we're talking about outrage. Outrage is rage spiraled out of control. Z, you had a very interesting analogy when we were talking earlier that rage is like a slow burn. It's like a controlled forest fire. But when the winds shift and you lose control of the rage, it turns into outrage and it tears you down. It tears down everything in its path. We see a lot of outrage today. We saw it during the coronavirus, during the pandemic. Some people are outraged that they can't step outside. Other people are outraged because people are stepping outside or they're stepping outside without masks. And oh, my God, how dare they? How dare they endanger the lives of other people around them? And then we get past the pandemic. We get to the more recent events, the death of George Floyd, and there's outrage about the death of George Floyd. Then there's outrage about the protests about the death there's outrage about the looting. And instead of people being able to step back, reflect on what's going on, and have intelligent conversations, there's just rage flying back and forth in a way which isn't productive, isn't controlled. So this is the topic that we're exploring today, this idea of outrage. And I want to start, Z, with why this is such a problem. And the reason I bring that up is oftentimes people equate outrage with righteous indignation, almost with a certain morality. So I see something in society or in the world that is wrong. I see some form of injustice. And therefore, I have a right and a duty to be outraged. And that outrage expresses my sense of injustice, and it can catalyze change. So there can be a positive impact from it, And I think that's why today we do see a lot of outrage and we see people who are perfectly comfortable being in that state. And we might even be in a place where if you're not outraged about something, other people around are saying, what's wrong with you? How can you go through life not caring about these serious issues that you're seeing every single day in front of your face? So take us through your perspective. Where are people getting it wrong? What is really the cost of outrage and what does that do to our health?
1: real simple vin everything we talk about here on this Dispatch observer goes back to general well-being right improve condition being uh being healthy and well right and when you're outraged you're no longer able to see straight you're not managing your energy and that that poor management energy leads to many other problems in addition to health issues mental health issues so an example is as you said earlier the forest fire we live in the California area and whenever they do a controlled burn a controlled rage you can actually manage the forest in such a way that uh, you don't have these outrageous forest fires but due to poor planning poor management and lack of controlled burn, lack of controlled rage, you have things that become outrageous. And those are always destructive. Outrage has nothing to do with morality. It is not tethered to morality. Why do I say that? If it was tethered to morality and you had a particular baseline of outrage, rage, concerns and concerns, there's no, you would see that something was connected to something but it is very disconnected an example is are you outraged at the killing of innocent and if you check the block yeah I'm outraged if you kill the innocent okay then who's innocent is it an innocent child is it it is an innocent elderly person isn't an innocent Democrat or an innocent Republican. You see how there's no more morality anymore because it is only tethered to a cause that you celebrate. So this rage is already there. The burn is already happening. The discontent, the disdain for others, the subtle dislike, that pilot light of rage is always burning. And it gets out of control when you simply have a a wind blow in that direction, and it, it burns everything around it. So the vast majority of people buy into this idea that, well, people are outraged at the death of George Floyd, right? So this is a contemporary issue. But you're not outraged at the thousands before him and the millions injured maimed for life and the tens of millions that suffer from a failed judicial system that turned a whole population group into the criminal underclass. But that wasn't outrageous. So again, if outrage had something to do with general morality we would have been raging against this long time ago, so it would be a controlled burn. The directions of things could have been controlled. The judicial system could have been uh, addressed, repaired. The policing could have been addressed, repaired. Just like a forest when you prevent overgrowth to prevent a greater tragedy. This just happens to be the fire this time as warned by James Baldwin in the 1960s or 50s, the fire next time. You walk through the forest and you see horrific overgrowth, lack of maintenance, and the general lack of concern as a hapless hiker walks through and flicks a cigarette into an already tragic situation of uncaring. So when we find ourselves outraged, The exercise that I try to do is is take a breath and look at the ingredients of my rage, pull away those ingredients, and then turn down the rage so that it is not now overburning, overrunning its boundaries before it becomes uncontrollable, which inevitably destroys me. It is said that resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. People run around with rage and resentment, and it's a slow death for the individual. The people that hate the protesters or angry at protesters for any reason have always been angry with them. They just needed a wind to pull this uncontrolled burn. The people protesting have been bottled up with rage for generations. But now that it disrupts the lives of people that had no concern, they're outraged at the disruption of their life, and they're raging to find um, remedy for that disruption of their comfort. Very few people actually care about George Floyd. He simply represents an indicator on the burner of how hot things will get. Do you want it real hot, or do you want a George Floyd hot? right so for the average one of us understanding what fuels your general rage because it's actually healthy as a human being to have things that elicit passion from you imagine a person who has no rage no passion no fire not someone you really want to spend a lot of time with under every circumstances cooler heads yes should prevail but those cooler heads are relative to the hot head Right, So we all have to have a certain amount of ardor, temperament, energy expression. There are things that inspire us, that that we have passion about. That's a rage. Um, You can't wait to see your lover. There's a sort of a rage with that. Now when the lover doesn't come or they entertain someone else, now you're outraged. And then there's the uncontrolled burn. But the controlled burn is a healthy thing. Um, Ideally, we are outraged by inflicting suffering upon our fellow human being. If we had a steady controlled burn of that, we could resolve the outrage before the forest burns down. But as the individual goes, the individual benefits by understanding what are you outraged about? Are you outraged about the noisy neighbor and you want them dead? Are you outraged or enraged the fact that you have no friends and you weren't invited to the neighbor's party? Using your intelligence to discern and discriminate against uh, these, these relative rages will help you manage your outrage. And remember, the only way you become outraged is because you have uncontrolled rage building up and the lack of maintenance of that rage as we use the analogy of the controlled burn in a forest. I was visiting Europe a few years back and I was driving through the forest around France between France and Italy and so forth and they have the most beautiful forest and they have not had a forest fire in decades. In decades. California has major forest fires every year. What's the difference? Is that they have managed burns. They have general maintenance of the fuel of rage. You look at our world today, the lack of maintenance, the brush built up, the debris built up from not maintaining human rights has caused an uncontrolled burn then that uncontrolled burn requires extraordinary intervention. For the individual, when you walk around seething, and you have rage that first becomes toxic rage. People, family members saying harsh things to one another, or mistreating each other, that produces toxic rage, compression of rage, and then that explodes into outrage. The same way with partnerships and relationships of all kind. It is the little overgrowth of brush, the little combustibles that we don't maintain. For the healthy person, it benefits you greatly to have a method in which you attend to things when they're small. Talk to your friends, talk to your loved ones about little things and get them out of the way. If you sit and they fester, they become acid-like toxins. Then a byproduct of that is the volatile gas of outrage, the burn, the indiscriminate burning, the looting and pillaging of the soul. And when you, when the fuel of that outrage is burned, and you're left with the skeleton and the remnants of what was there, and you do an assessment, you find that, wow, I could have dealt with this a month ago, a year ago, and it wouldn't have cost me so much. It is, in, it is in beneficial for us to communicate, to exchange, to listen, to empathize and to be compassionate in the moment when we see the lack or the mismaintenance of rage. When you belittle it, it doesn't go away. When you deny it, it doesn't go away. When you avoid looking at it, it doesn't go away. Again, walking through the forest of Europe compared to walking through the forests of America you see why they have not had catastrophic brush fires in so many years. And you can also walk through the wilderness of America and the urban wilderness of America and listen to people and just simply hear the complete disconnect that we have of the debris and the combustible materials lying about and accumulating in our own world. We see the the problem of the homeless the, the roving insane. The, we separate those. You have the roving insane, and that was due to the lack of maintenance of mental health care, and it's becoming combustible materials that are ruining the cities. You see the failure of government to have clear vision to do the, the general social maintenance. You see the widening gap of the haves and the have-nots but yet, when it's small, we can easily maintain it. You see the, the, the weeds of the general lack of common courtesy growing and dying in the streets of this country. The simple acts of decency and courtesy that are the maintenance of the human condition. Thank you. Excuse me. Yes, you can go by. Please. I appreciate you. They, they don't exist as much, and thus the weeds of resentment, contentment, grow and grow. Those weeds uh, degenerate into fuel. that fuel outrage. So this is a normal byproduct of the general chem- chemical reaction to these events. Injustices are allowed to dirty up the mind, the country, the individual. And all of us can do a little bit for our own self-maintenance, our own controlled burn. Communicate. Take little actions, not big actions. I was um, coming into work today and there's a neighbor who every now and then I'll meet him in the alley when I'm opening the gate and I pull over to the side so that cars can get by and he always screams and yells that he has to make a small turn to get around my car on the rare occasion we open the gate. Today he was standing out there and he had delivery trucks blocking the driveway, my driveway. I slammed on brakes, threw the car door open, he ran in the house, and I went up to the delivery truck driver and I said, hey, go on and pull into my driveway. You can park here for free. You won't block anybody. He said, thanks. The neighbor, an hour later, came out the house to find out what I had said to the delivery driver, and he said, hey, I listened to him out the window, he says, really nice, he let me park in his lot simple simple things we can create a disaster or we can create a dynasty it's a choice it starts first with individuals i would say to most people right now during the pandemic and the uprising don't comment at all on it if you have nothing that you can say if you don't want to pick up a broom and sweep up the dirt around you Just be quiet. Don't add fuel to the fire. Don't say, well, I understand George Floyd, but I don't understand the looters. Well, you don't understand George Floyd as a match. He's just a match in a gas-filled room. You weren't outraged at the gas. Don't be mad at the match. Right? Ask yourself, what did you do? Did you benefit from the suffering of many others? And if you did, it's best to be quiet. A looter should be quiet. If you stole 10 boxes of Reebok shoes, just be quiet. Because it's a metaphor, as you know. If you benefited from the suffering of others, you're the looter. Just be quiet. Keep the bounty of your gain, your thievery, keep it to yourself. But also acknowledge that, yeah, I got mines out of this. My life is easy. My shoes are better. I didn't have to buy these shoes, so I was able to invest that money somewhere else. But the bottom line is if you do not check your outrage, it burns everything up. Not just you, not, not, not just your enemies, but you. It burns your soul, it burns your character. It burns the model of the world you wanna live in. You may feel that you escape it, but you will breathe in the soot and the toxins of that burn. It will diminish the quality of the lives of others and also take from you, because we, for good or for bad, we share this world. And this time, we witnessed all over the world an acknowledgement of the gas fumes that were floating around that simply needed an errant spark. George Floyd, this thing, it's, it, he's a myth. He's an insignificant man. But this world is filled with insignia. We have 8 billion nobodies that make up this world. 8 billion nobodies. And you get enough nobodies together and you will have a somebody. And every one of those nobodies is somebody to somebody. And they are sparks. They are energetic elements. That if you combine enough of them in in a certain square footage of space, you're going to have a catastrophic explosion. No one weed or dry leaf in the forest started the fire. But they gave fuel for that one errant spark, that one lightning bolt, that one spark off of a rock to devastate an environment. Nature teaches us and allows us to witness this every day. Why don't we listen and watch it? Why don't we let nature teach it? So for those of us who are outraged, mark down what you're outraged about. Write down the thing that outrages you. Just put it right there in front of you. Just take a little note. Take 10 seconds out and say, I'm really outraged by blah, blah, blah. And then take another 20 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute and write all the things that don't outrage you. And you'll probably be ashamed of yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's a funny way to put it. And I think it's extremely accurate. One of the things about outrage is how selective it is. And this is really an important point to understand. It's not about morality. You said that up front. But it's, if anything, about personal inconvenience. And there's so many examples of outrage where you can look at similar situations, which are a lot worse, but they're not front and center. They're not affecting you directly. And so you don't care. So maybe one lesson from this is recognize what outrage actually is. It's a response to something that inconveniences you. It's not a statement about morality or about justice To your point, you can be outraged about George Floyd, but what have you done about the condition of similar people over decades? Do you care about the treatment of people in other parts of this world, which might be even worse than what we're seeing in the United States? Or if you think about the pandemic that we've experienced and certain people being outraged that others aren't wearing masks or they're putting their fellow human beings at risk, why weren't you outraged during the past flu season? Maybe the flu is not as bad as coronavirus, but 30 to 50,000 people die every year from the flu. We could wash our hands. We could wear masks. There was nothing preventing us from doing that in the past. Why did not we care about all those people who died in the past? Do those lives mean nothing? And if they do mean something, then what does it say about our outrage today? What are we really upset about? Are we upset because it's front and center? Are we upset because as you're suggesting, Z, there's something latent within ourselves that's looking for an issue to attach itself to? Is it more about our own fear that we've been whipped up into a certain frenzy, now we're worried about ourselves? So the outrage comes from a sense of self-preservation And if we go through this exercise, as you're saying, and write down the things that outrage us and the things that don't, at least it provides some perspective and maybe gives us some some insight into why we feel the outrage. Let's assume that we have that perspective. So let's assume that we're outraged not because we think there's been some travesty of justice, uh, not because certain people have fallen by the wayside in our society, it's really all about us. We're outraged at things that personally inconvenience us, and we can be honest about it. And we don't want to stay inside, so we're outraged about that. We don't want to spend more of our money and provide that money to the government, so we're outraged about taxes, whatever the situation is. Even if we admit that there is a big component of this, which has to do with our own self-interest, What is the problem with that? And when I think about this, hearing you talk, we're fine with the underlying conditions, but we're outraged at particular results. So, as you said, we're fine when we live in a society where certain people are repressed, where they live in poverty, where they support a machinery that other people benefit from. And that's fine as long as it benefits those people. But as soon as we have to face the natural consequence of that, because there's a basic imbalance, uh, there's a system set up that's unsustainable, eventually it's going to swing back into balance or swing in the other direction. We don't like the result of that. So we're fine with an unsustainable system, but we're not fine when it starts to correct itself and swing in the other direction. Am I thinking about this the right way? I mean, as part of your point around how we should look at the whole and not particular instances but we should look at the system that we're creating uh, the entire picture if we want to do something do something about that as opposed to living under the fantasy that we can pick and choose of the machinery that we've put into place
1: looking at the philosophies that that i adhere to and that i'm fond of i've talked before how in the vedas they describe the twilight of the kali Yuga were omens of the Kali Yoga as we move into another era of humanity. And according to these writings, we live in one of the low points of humanity. It said half the people will be amongst the walking dead. Even though they will be walking, they're alive, they're basically soulless. and What we would call modern times, sociopaths and psychopaths. And there will be a small percentage of people that are full human, and humans flourish on nurturing sustained nurturing there was an article today in the paper about why it's so important when a person is grieving to have physical touch so medical article why physical touch during the time of grieving is so beneficial to human health in addition to infant development right simply to touch a baby to hold a baby so that's a human being that has a mechanism of exchange, energetic exchange, not unlike the fungal tubes of a plant that exchange the commerce and energy and needs of another plant to one another. Right? Plants have fungal tubes that go underground and they communicate with other plants in different regions of their area. Say, what do I need? What do I don't need? What will benefit me? What won't benefit me? Human beings, by the very act of being human, improve their own life conditions. But if it is said by the scriptures that a half of us are in a zombie-like state, that's the way you explain where we're at right now. As you're talking, do you realize that you could do a simple survey of an individual? Are you a zombie or a sociopath? Here's the test. Write down the things that outrage you and the things that don't outrage you. And when you sit back and you view the disconnect, you can tell right then if you're the walking dead. You're outraged at people looting, but you're not outraged at the circumstances that exploded into that where people no longer care about life and death because their lives have been so drained. You don't like this group but you love the other group because of. You don't like the speaking of atrocities, but you accept the atrocity. You don't mind the suffering of this guy, but you really mind the suffering of that girl you're already passing the psychopath sociopath test. You're amongst the walking dead, and that's not healthy. So I would say for selfish reasons, reject your own vampirism, your own zombieism. Join the human family so that you can flourish and evolve. Open your heart up according to medical data. Touch, compassion, caring, intimacy. They improve your health. if you're even a vampire or a zombie with a, a, just a bit of intelligence, it benefits you to care. So you don't even have to do it for magnanimous reasons. You can do it for completely selfish reasons. Just join the human family. Just to improve your health and add to your own longevity. Become human again. Like some vampire movie, right? De-zombify yourself.
0: Yeah, I think we should batten that slogan. Yeah, We could sell yeah. some t-shirts with de-zombification.
1: Yeah, it is a de-zombification. Join the small family of the remaining humans on Earth and flourish because everything alive wants to live. Everything dead wants things to die. Dead, Tomasic re- re- offers no energy. Life gives on to life. Death gives to death. Do you want to live or do you want to die? You want to flourish or you want to decline? these are simple things so do your outrage list and nobody's looking so you can be very honest about your outrage list you can be very honest about it I I I give a shit about this and I give no shits about that right away you're gonna see how bizarre that list looks right and that doesn't mean you have to be uh, the super compassionate person just be honest because it's not always bad. Do you care about people that abuse their own health? No. Nope. Do you admire people who look after themselves? Yes. It's not so bad, is it? It doesn't make you a bad person. It just gives us an idea of how you think. Do you... Love to watch football, but you hate those people kneeling. That gets a little complex now. Yes. Yeah. Do you hate the people kneeling, but love the people that they're, uh, that, that they're protesting about? That gets complicated. Real quick. It gets real complicated real quick. Right? Yes. Yeah. You love the veterans, but not the homeless ones who were made homeless by adventurism and war adventurism that they signed up for. I love the country and I'm a a model citizen, but I would never serve in the military or serve the country in any way. Gets a little complicated. I don't believe in the wars, but I really like the profits I make from the war. Gets weird, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it gets weird pretty fast. Real quick. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cool exercise because I think it sheds light on why we have the views that we do. And most of the time it's just arbitrary. It's either we care about what benefits us, we don't care about other people. We have certain preferences, maybe we develop those preferences, maybe they came from somewhere else. But there's really no rhyme or reason. And I think going through this systematically, we start to divorce the outrage from any logic. That to me is a danger, that people get attached to the outrage because they think there's logic behind it. Or because they feel outrage, they assume that there's some logic to what they're feeling. And then the two feed off of each other. So the cause that you're outraged about becomes more important. Because that becomes more important, you feel more outraged. You feel more self-righteous. Therefore, you hang out with people who've got the same view. So the outrage increases even further. And you get to a point where you create your own reality... But that reality is just completely arbitrary. It's like a child who screams because one day uh, they don't want to eat a turkey sandwich and the next day they're fine with the turkey sandwich, but they don't want to have avocado or whatever it is. It's just personal preference. It's a whim, Uh, but we take it way too seriously. And to your point, there's nothing wrong with having these preferences. There's nothing wrong with being whimsical. That's the nature of the mind. We've talked before about how the mind is fleeting, it's transient, it's always changing its constitution of thoughts, of emotional states. That's just the nature of being human. And as long as we don't take that too seriously and we don't get attached to it and we don't build a reality around it, we're fine. But as soon as we start trying to create our own reality or picking out parts of life and saying this is important, but this is not important. I like this aspect of the world, but I don't like that aspect. So in my mind, I'm going to create my own reality where I can have all the things that I want. I can get the benefits of war without the cost of war. I can salute the veterans, but I don't have to worry about the fact that they're dying homeless in the streets. We, it's very bizarre when you get into it because we have a tendency to pick apart a system. And instead of looking at the system as a whole, we just take what we like and we get rid of what we don't like. When you break it down that way, it violates all laws of science and common sense. But when we're caught up in the sense of outrage, we don't see it that way. We see it as something that's righteous that we're fighting for. So I think just going through that list gives us a certain perspective. Perhaps we stop taking ourselves so seriously. And with that perspective, we're better able to choose where we direct our energy. And maybe this is, uh, excuse me, this is the difference you were talking about between rage and outrage somewhat of a conscious choice. So if we look at a situation objectively, we can understand what is worth fighting for, what's not, what's personal preference versus what is more of a serious injustice. And the stuff that's more arbitrary, we decide to let go. The things that are very important that we come to after careful deliberation, that's what we go after in more of the controlled fashion where we are directing our energy, we are directing our rage, but we're doing it in a way where there's gonna be some productive outcome where we're not just randomly burning down everything around us and burning down ourselves. And you mentioned compassion as just a way for us to feel more healthy. But we also talked about another cost of outrage, which is your general level of stress. If you walk around outraged and incensed all the time, your stress index, as you pointed out, Z, is off the charts. Talk about that a bit. Talk about the mindset of someone who's just walking around in a state of outrage what it does to their stress, and what impact it has on their health.
1: Well, Van, as you're talking, you always give me clarity. So let's remember certain things, too, as we get into that. Outrage has nothing to do with logic, reasoning, or morality. It has zero to do with those things. It is unreasoned, it is illogical, and it is amoral. Once you do your list, you'll see that and for the person who's walking around borderline like that just mad all the time remember outrage is the uncontrolled burn rage is the burn you can not like traffic but you're outraged when you jump out the car and you're involved in road rage that's outraged. that's when they're outraged and you no longer thinking straight uh... you're venting the fires just burning it is not healthy for a number of reasons. It costs a lot to do road rage. You could end up in a traffic event, or losing your life, or your license, or going to jail. You can lose your standing community. People on the internet are all outraged, and every day you hear one another person, you know, going off, ranting, "nigger, nigger, nigger" on Twitter, and then losing their job. Every day you see them. Oh, this famous person just lost their job because they went on a nigger rant on 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 Twitter.
0: Yeah, you don't even have to say that. You can say things that are much more mild. The CrossFit CEO just lost his job for some comments he made on Twitter, which on the surface didn't even seem that offensive. He started the company. He was kicked out of his own company.
1: The bar of offense is so low. Like I said, have your rage, manage it, and know that this forum of speaking, it's best to stay in your lane. He should only talk about clean and jerk or lifting weights. That's that's all he should talk about. That's it. And you you keep your job. You'll keep your standing in the community. It's a very low bar to maintaining your standing in the community. Very low bar. Talk about the things you know about and you're clear about. Real simple. If he would have just talked about squatting or weightlifting gloves or something, we'd never even hear about it. All these people... Some uh, football player, you know, just, it used to be just avoid in politics of any kind. You play football, uh, you're running around shaking the president's hand and, you know, ranting about niggers or something. You're going to lose your job. Just stick to uh, what pattern you're going to run on the field and that. And then when, the, uh, when your teammates feel they have to share their experience, just say, yeah, well, they're doing it. I have no comment because it's not my experience. There you go, You're safe. You're completely safe. Don't, uh, guys, don't comment on on women's health issues. You're safe. If you if you hate a certain group of people, um, keep it within a small circle of friends and don't Twittergram it. You know what I mean? Just, just don't say anything let talk about furries or hamsters or whatever you know about if you want to keep your job. Because we live in a time of outrage. Don't throw more fuel on the fire. That's it. Avoid throwing. And, and you'll be healthy and safe. Your income will be safe. You'll be safe. You don't have to do some half-ass apology that no one believes. You know what I mean? It's just, I look at this every day and I say, wow, why don't they just shut up? Right? So you're not a firefighter. Don't go to the fire. Don't. It's like these people that were flying drones during the... They're trying to put out fires. They're flying drones. The aircraft that are trying to put off the fire can't work because the drones are flying around taking pictures of the fire. Hey, let the firefighters put out the fire and just go fly your drone in a park somewhere. Everybody gets on with it. Now you're doing time and sing, sing with a roommate named Bubba because you were trying to fly a toy plane and interfere with the with the fire management. So, again, the rage is your desire to participate. The outrage is you participating in stuff you shouldn't be participating in. Yeah. So just stay healthy and well. Stay in your lane. Drive your car right adhere as much as you can to the proper boundaries and just get home get home safe get home healthy that's all don't talk about stuff that's going to cause you health problems don't jump in the flame you are not a professional firefighter don't try to get involved
0: so this is an interesting point you're bringing up, uh, that we got to create the boundaries between rage and outrage. How do we do that? How do you know when, it, what are some of the markers? I mean, can we come up with a checklist that can guide people to what is rage and something that's healthy versus what is outrage that is going to spiral out of control? I think some of it has to do with awareness.
1: Ben, you're very inspired. So here's, here's how you do it. For the sake of your own mental health, your physical health, the safety of you and your family. First, do self-assessment. The who am I, the I am meditation. So I'm a guy named Van of this age. So I know that I cannot discuss menstrual cramps or whatever. So I just won't, That that's not my specialty. My specialty is me. I cannot speak for others or people that are outside of the me narrative. Know yourself. Know yourself. All these people getting in trouble uh, because they're speaking about things that they don't know anything about. And they speak ignorantly with authority. That's really a problem when you speak ignorantly of authority. If your life is good and you're safe, don't discuss people who aren't safe and whose lives aren't good. Just don't talk. You don't know anything about it. That's not unreasonable. Don't go into the cockpit of a plane and ask the pilot if you could take over for him. If you're not a pilot, don't hang over your mechanic's shoulder and have him explain to you um, the mass air flow sensor in your car and suggest ways that he could repair it. All it's going to do, he's going to charge you more. If that's not something you know anything about, just wait for the car to be done. Just wait. Wait in the waiting room, have some cheesy poos, and wait for your car. You don't know anything about it. If you do want to do it, educate yourself on the topic. Educate yourself on the subject. Now at least you have the right words to even ask. So if you go through your real quick list and understand who you are and what is your knowledge base, stick to that. That's it. The most intelligent thing you could say is, I have no comment. And to the best of my knowledge, you could say that. That's a disclaimer. To the best of my knowledge, that leaves room because you don't know everything. So if they walk up to you and say, hey, what do you think about the looting? Hey, to the best of my knowledge, I think the people are upset and I'm going to go home. How about that?
0: Yeah, so I think that's a good way to protect yourself. But what happens if emotionally you still feel outraged? Or you take another example. Let's say you're a woman and you listen to the comments that Trump makes about women And every time you see this guy on TV, you think about that, and you're just feeling outraged that he's the president. But at the same time, you can't do anything about it because your vote isn't going to change anything. Uh, But it just really bugs you. It gets under your skin. It causes anxiety.
1: Yeah, the the solution is simple. Don't watch it. Why is it bothering you? With all, Again, the list of outrage, why does that outrage you? Does it outrage you that this... uh, Probably a very unattractive wealthy man has married an Eastern European prostitute. Is is that is that what you're outraged about? Well, don't blame sex workers. I mean, don't. Uh, why would you be mad at? Are you mad at all sex workers? I mean, they need to eat too, right? They they need food too. It's just a job. The poor woman is doing her job, and her job is to entertain her client. Do you have no empathy for the poor woman? Right? So you can always reconsider the things you're outraged about. Reduce it to rage. And then you can manage rage. You cannot manage outrage. I look at this poor woman and I say, wow. She's really got to shake that money maker boy. And she has to go through a lot. I don't know what her background is that she would prostitute herself out like that. And, and, and prostitution is legal in many states and many countries. So it's a career path for men, for many, okay? So that's the way I look at it. And then if I was that guy, probably didn't have a lot of dating options outside of being wealthy, you know? So you can almost have a sense of empathy and compassion to say, hey, this guy's come a long way considering the odds against him. Then all of a sudden I'm not outraged. I actually have sympathy. So you can play with your outrage, bring it down to rage, and then you can convert your rage to all sorts of energy. But you must identify it. You must identify the combustible elements of your rage. Deconstruct them until they're they're, in, they're not flammable anymore, not volatile anymore. I look at it in my life. I have seen many traumatic acts of racial hatred. What gets me through that is I at a certain point in my life I no longer took it personal because I, I realized that the people don't hate me. The racist doesn't hate me. They just see no connection to my them their humanity and mine. So I think about if I put myself in the seat of a racist or a person who's bought into the false the mal narratives that built racism, I hate spiders. I don't know their name, I don't know what they do, but I'm going to kill every spider that gets near me, because once a spider bit me and I had all kinds of problems, and they're just creepy little creatures. As I say to my, my, my wife, something I learned from my mom is that anything in this house that doesn't pay rent is getting raided. I'm going to spray raid on it. Okay? If it does not serve my home. So that's how it works, and that's how people see people of color. People of color typically have bought into some part of the narrative, and they just don't want to be the object of disdain. So they're always pushing another person of color in front of them to let the bus run over them so it won't be them that is the roach under the foot. So they've supported the narrative in their own way, but it's not personal. It's nothing personal. No long, more than a, an exterminators killing insects. So, once you know that, you know how to position yourself. You know not to argue about it. You know not, you're the roach. You're the vermin. So, there's no argument you can make that will change that. All you can do is change yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's get back to this difference between rage and outrage. We talked about the I am meditation, staying in your lane. We also talked about how we should have a perspective, maybe some empathy. And if we understand the situation better, With that awareness, some of the outrage disappears. We may still feel passionately about something, but it's not this uncontrolled hatred or uncontrolled burning because we have a certain amount of perspective. But what does that border look like between the rage and outrage? I mean, let's say that we feel legitimately passionate about something. We feel enough passion to take some action. So we feel that rage is there a risk that that turns into outrage? And and how do we create the boundaries or maintain an awareness so that we don't move from a state of rage to a state that's uncontrolled?
1: Think about this, rage is energy, like passion. The alarm clock goes off in the morning, you realize you're late for work, you say, damn it, I'm gonna be late. That rage can motivate you, inspire you to get up and get moving, uh, pull you from your slumber, so you could get to work on time or whatever it is. You want to always identify that just in that moment, right in that moment. Yeah, it, this gets me fired up. Things that get you fired up. So know what's not fire, what's fire. The outrage are things that burn you up. It's one thing to be fired up, but you don't want it to burn up. You want the car engine warm, but you don't want it overheating. Overheating, you won't make it to your destination warm engine runs efficient that manage rage that rage that creates that sustainable energy Oh, I gotta go to the gym tonight I it really fires me up when I don't get to the gym or it fires me up when I feel like I'm out of shape that's great outrage is when you're just obsessing on the gym and now you have all sorts of body dysmorphic disorders And you're working out and grinding your bones and vomiting your food. That's outrage. You don't want to go there. So again, I said earlier, there's a checklist you can make. Just as an exercise, a mental exercise. Write down things that enrage you and things that don't enrage you. Real simple. And once you identify that feature in yourself, you can then begin to manage it. You will also have to, again, do an exercise of the I am meditation where you arrest the ego, because most of you will be ashamed of yourself when you do that list. So you have to let go of shame, right?
0: Right.
1: There you go, real simple.
0: All right, good, good, I like the simplicity. So just focus on the internal gauge and the sense of whether you're fired up and the emotion is doing something productive or it's just burning you down. And I think the one example that I've seen is divorce cases where people are enraged or outraged at how their partner treated them. And it's similar to what you said up front, that this is built up over years. They never took action. And finally, it explodes and it destroys the entire family. It destroys the people who are getting divorced. It destroys their assets. These things drag on for years. It destroys the children. It just leads to a very acrimonious situation, which is avoidable if we're able to step back from that emotion. And ask whether it's serving any useful purpose and ask how, how did we get to this point? Were there things that we could have done along the way to avoid this outcome?
1: And for those who observe it, you can learn. I mean, there's been so many cases, Van, like that. You know, you use divorce as an example. And then people get, fought, they get caught up in these just horrific, scorched earth divorce battles. When if you would deconstruct it like you do a, a plane crash, right? You just deconstruct the thing. And now these people are fighting over alimony, which is basically the wear and tear on the woman's body, right? Her, her value to another man. That's what alimony is based on. Will another man rent me after you've used me? That's alimony. So what if long before that, there was a clear conversation with couples on what is it that you want from me and what is it worth to you? Either your time, your dollars and cents. Each person. Could you imagine that? That's that, that's that, um, that 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 forbidden zone. That when you're in, that everyone long before divorce, or if you never get divorced, could you imagine the outrage that would be prevented if a couple, early on in their relationship, wrote down or listed and said to one another, "What is it that you want from me?" And what do I want for you in exchange for? So if we ever get to that point of the wear and tear conversation known as alimony, we're very clear. It's like I'm going to rent a car or lease a car and they allow me X amount of miles on that car. Why? Because the end of that time, the devaluation, I want to make a profit on the devaluation. Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: What if we had that conversation? Then you wouldn't have outrage at the end. Oh, I gave my best years to this clown. Or she was so wonderful in the beginning, then she broke down. What if you had that conversation? Imagine how low, but also what a weight off your shoulders and back, because a lot of people are thinking about it all the time in the background, right? What if my husband dies? Who They have commercials late at night. What if your husband died? What would you do? Get this insurance or that insurance. You've seen those commercials late at night. What if your husband died? I don't care if he died. I care about the money. What if you just had that conversation? But it requires a certain amount of courage. It requires a certain amount of sincerity. It requires a certain amount of emotional and spiritual integrity to speak plain and clear to follow the dharma
0: yeah yeah what's funny it sounds it it sounds so ridiculous but as you're talking i'm thinking about the examples of divorce that i've seen it's exactly what you're talking about there's bitterness because that was never recognized that part of the agreement
1: you could do severance packages at work the hell's a severance package it's a mitigating liability package is what it should be called is that right Right? You're fired. The job is over. Go. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's
0: part of the agreement. That you go, you work in a factory or a company, the job might not be that interesting. They might not pay you as much as you make on your own. But you have some sense of security? Part of that is a severance package. Part of that might be a pension. It could be something else.
1: And they sold you the illusion of security. It's the cost of the dream. Right? It's, it, it's the cost of the dream. I had a dream that I would be here for 30 years. My dream is no longer, the dream is now deferred. How much is that deferment worth? That dream deferred. That's a severance package. Alimony is the wear and tear on the woman's body. For dealing with you. So when we're outraged and we're letting that, remember the rage is there because in the back of our mind, we're watching the lack of maintenance build up. The unspoken, the unaddressed, right? So the communication and the action of that communication is the maintenance of such. At work, they have regular work meetings and maintenance. Here's the status of the company. Here's what we expect from you. Here's what you can expect from us. Here's what we need to get you closer to your dream of the 30-year pension package. You do your part, we do ours. If it messes up, we'll talk about who messed up and the severance package. Here's our relationship. Here's what I want from you. Here's what you want from me. Here's what it's gonna cost. If you don't do that, here's the depreciation of the booty you know what
0: i mean yeah yeah you're right so let's bring this back to the rage and outrage and maybe this is a good place to wrap we've gotten a little off topic but i like the examples i think even though they might sound insane (laughs) if we reflect on them they're actually pretty spot on so let's be really clear on the difference between rage and outrage as we put it at the beginning rage is passion It's a slow burn. It's something that we can control. It's something that leads to productive action. Outrage is the uncontrolled fire that spirals out of control. And the cost of that is it burns us down. It burns down people around us. It requires a tremendous amount of energy. And I think the biggest benefit of being able to distinguish between the two is you can get rid of such a weight on your shoulders. Who wants to walk around all the time in a state of rage, in a state of stress, in a state of resentment? Carrying that load around is something that's so draining. And I've seen that. I've seen that in myself. Even if I think about the last few months, I think about government policy, I think about our response to the pandemic, at times I felt outraged. And I got to a point where I thought, who is this serving? This certainly isn't serving me. This is just making me feel bad. It's creating antagonism with people who've got different views. What the hell do I really care? And if I'm not willing to do something about it, if there's nothing productive coming out of it, if there's no moral imperative behind it, then let it go. And perhaps that's the biggest lesson that we can take from this. Getting rid of outrage is a process of letting go, of divesting ourselves from false ideas and burdens that we carry around. And that can only benefit our health.
1: Yeah, so real simple. Do your rage, outrage checklist. And know that rage is manageable and can be productive and can be subdued and directed. Outrage cannot. So do your rage, outrage checklist. Get over the shame. Disgust at yourself. Go back to your rage and do something about, use your rage as a motivating force.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.